answer that question by asking you two questions. One, is this or is this not? Chasing history. Jake Larson. I needed to find this Shaka Khan song. I couldn't think of the name of it, and so I had to stop in the middle of the sidewalk. And two-time Nebraska walk-on trial participant Colton Stone. <laughs> I'm putting a 12-6 that only has a 12 right at the batter's head. <laughs> yes, it is. Two, do I, or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. Good morning, beautiful people. It's 10 a.m. on a Friday. You know what that means? It's Chasing History time. Chasing History on 90.3 Karen U. Lincoln. I'm Colton Stone alongside, as always, Jake Larson. Jake, uh, before we get into it, I'd like to um, yeah. I'd, I'd like to uh, recognize the celebration. Well, first of all, it's a retirement tour slash celebration, but mm-hmm. uh, White Chocolate and Dwayne Wade last night. I don't know if you saw this, but no, wait, uh, Jason Williams. Yeah, what they swapped the uh, he signed a Kings jersey and they uh, swapped jerseys last night. I didn't want you to make me cry on air. Yeah, come on, you should have given me a forewarning about this. <laughs> nope, my favorite basketball. Player I didn't know if you time. knew, so that's why. No, I, I didn't. I I had not really uh, kept up with the NBA recently, as we're going to figure out. Uh, anyone who's listening today, this is going to figure out. Um, I'm going to scream and yell about the Baseball Hall of Fame. As much as we did last week, um, um, which but, I need to upload more. that show. But more, yeah, because now we know who's actually in. Now we know who's and actually in. Um, <laughs> and one of those people is not Barry Bonds. Uh, another one of those people is not Roger Clemens. Another one of those people is not uh, Larry Walker. And yeah. so we got plenty of things yeah. to talk about today. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, scream and yell. And it could take up uh, a full hour. Um, now with football <laughs> season, now with football season, uh, dwindling down, we got, uh, next Sunday, not this upcoming Sunday, but the next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. We'll probably have a special Super Bowl episode, uh, all about Super Bowl stats and history, uh, next week. But for now, um, a big yeah. time for us being a big baseball fan, me being the baseball boy around the Midwest, uh, how this is. Hall of Fame edition, and uh, it's 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 going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly today. I'll let you know. Uh, well, <clears throat> speaking of football, just really fast. Yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, did you watch either or both of the conference championship games? Last I week? watched both. Okay. I did not. I missed a little bit of the Ram Saints, but I did rewatch. Uh, the end of the fourth quarter and overtime. Okay. And uh, thoughts. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've already done our uh, sports conspiracy theory episode, um, but next, you know, oh wait, there's not a next time. Whoops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, if we yeah, uh, if this disaster, had happened, guess, if this right. had happened a year ago, uh, I can tell you right now that that game, uh, maybe even both games, would have been on the sports conspiracy theory list. And the Rams and Saints, I would not be surprised if something comes out of that one. Because um, here's here is the thing on that one. I'm gonna get I'm gonna, time to put on your tinfoil hats, everybody. Um, I'm just gonna say so. Mine's already have, on. It always is. I know mine's. What? Get glued on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't have hair anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My head naturally glo- grows tinfoil. So, now. anyways, you have two conference. How many? How many Boston LA championships have there been? Like, the answer is too many. <laughs> Ever, yeah. Uh, 
Boston, big market, large national uh, fan base. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles, you know, Los Angeles, probably the most prime city that there is in the United States in terms of viewership and stuff. Everyone wants to go to L.A. at some point in their life. Um, and it's just a flashy city that always attracts a lot of fans. However, and those are two teams that are playing that have a chance at the Super Bowl. The teams that they're playing against, small market teams, don't really have a fan base outside their area. Mm-hmm. Which team do you think the NFL wants in the Super Bowl? The team from New Orleans or the team from uh, Los Angeles? The team from Kansas City or the team from Boston? Yeah, that's that's the thing. And I thought I could find it, but it was interesting because people were trying to make that argument against the Rams that like, oh, well, you know, it, it's just like it's Los Angeles, but you looked at it and more people watched the AFC championship game in Los Angeles than watched the NFC. People are like, oh, well, look at this. And it's like, okay, but also no one in LA is doing anything before noon. And so if the game's kicking off at noon and they're like, okay, but yeah, if you played like a 3 a.m. game here in Cleveland, Browns fans would still watch. And it's like, yeah, because there's nothing else going on in Cleveland. And not only in that, LA, you're probably stuck in traffic before you even know there's a game on. And not only that, but football is a big-time southern U.S. and Midwest sport. Oh, yeah. It's a middle-of-the-nation sport. No, baseball and basketball are like a West, well, not, I wouldn't say a West Coast I thing, wouldn't say I wouldn't even say baseball necessarily, but basketball are yeah. East and West Coast because you have big cities, and it's just, you know, it's a smaller field, yeah. less equipment. It's an easier game to pick up and play, um, especially with a lot of people around. Um, football is, you know, wide-open spaces. It's a game that's played um, and birthed really took off in rural the rural Midwest mm-hmm. and rural southern United States. Uh, in other words, the complete opposite of Los Angeles. I'm sure – and this is my thing is there – I mean, football is America's biggest sport. And so everyone to some degree that is a sports fan is to some degree a football fan. I think that if we're going to have two L.A. teams – I think you keep the Chargers, and that's going to be your – if you're from L.A. and you're like most L.A. people, and you're like, eh, football, football. you know, <laughs> it's whatever. You go to the Chargers. The Rams, especially with their name, they just seem like that's the team for the Midwest in southern United States uh, imports. <laughs> like everyone from those states, that's who they're going to be rooting for. Mm-hmm. Those people that you're – and well, the point I'm trying to make is – the Rams fans that are showing up to the game, I want to be interesting to take a survey of where each of those fans are originally from. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if half of them, if not more, were born and or raised uh, outside Los Angeles. Yeah. Or maybe even, you know, I actually will extend it further. Just I think half the fans are probably from the Midwest or the Southern United States where football is king. Well, and that was the other argument too is they're like you realize most people in L.A. It's, it's not aren't football. from L.A. It's not a football place. Well, and then on top of that too, you have to look around the country. They just, what, two years ago? Maybe it was three by now. I don't know. Time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm not, but time's still flying. So, um, but 
the Rams were like still fairly recently in St. Louis. Like they didn't oh, yeah. move that long ago. Oh yeah. And so you still have fans that, you know, albeit they want to say, oh well, I'm not going to watch Rams football because they left St. Louis. Yeah, no, people in St. Louis are still like rooting for the Rams. People in the Midwest that were Rams fans from like even Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, those areas are still rooting for the Rams, even though I they're mean, in L.A. I mean, there's a decent amount of people, and I'm sure and it will change over time where more and more people don't really have that connection to the Rams anymore. Yeah. They've been so, you know, there's no one from St. Louis still roots for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, yeah. yeah but And so eventually it's going to be a point where everyone in Missouri is going to be rooting for Kansas City. Yeah. And everyone, wow. everyone in Illinois, or mostly everyone in Illinois, We'll be rooting for the Bears. Yeah. But for now, a lot of those people are still Rams fans. Yeah. And I wouldn't be – I mean, if they're good, why would you stop? Exactly. But if they get bad, you know, well, nope. there, there goes that. Also, in comparison to where – yeah. In comparison to where the two teams are coming from, you've got one from the very northeast. You've got one from the very south – like, very west, obviously, but also the southern part of mm-hmm. the, the very west. It's, and then you've got it being played in the very deep southeast. <laughs> and that's going to be interesting. That's you know, it's not necessarily But the city won't burn because New Orleans is not necessarily there, so. it necessarily won't it's not necessarily equidistant. No. But there's not really a notable uh home field advantage uh for this game. Yeah. So Yeah. So it'll be it'll be an interesting one. We'll get more into that uh on next episode unless uh something else should the Rams have won that game? Um, to me, I think they are the better team. I agree in terms of talent, but uh, watching that game, that was it's that's the worst. That is the worst non-call I've seen in professional sports or in professional football. I would say that one was bad, and there were. I mean, like you said, we're not we're not going to do a conspiracy part two. We're going to do everything else part two this year, but not that one. Yeah. Um, unless we feel like it. Uh but there were so many missed calls on both sides that, like, I, it was just ridiculous that Saints fans were acting like, oh, this is the first time anyone's gotten screwed by a non-call. This, is a, this isn't even the first time they've gotten screwed by a noticeable no, yeah. non-call. Oh, yeah. And people forget the reason they got, they got to the Super Bowl in 2009 was from a handful of non-calls. And they also, you know, tried to kill Brett Favre. So that's true. That is true. Also, Drew Brees could have let him down to and a also, touchdown. Also, didn't they make this? They're the Saints are the reason that there's now a rule that overtime doesn't can't end with a field goal. I think they might be. Yeah, because the, they played the Vikings at home, got the kick or got the uh, got the ball first in overtime, kicked a field goal, won the NFC Championship on a field goal. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think there was talks, and I I think that's that overtime is going to get looked at again um, this season. This California off-season. rule, California rule, put the ball at midfield. Each team they switch off after one play, and then after four plays, whoever had the ball in the other team's territory and or scored <laughs> wins. That's the that's what they're considering. It's stupid, and I love it. That's probably worse, but I I honestly think. I like how they do it, except for their can't. I hate when they're like, it's a modified sudden death. No, both teams get the ball, and then if it's not tied, or if it is tied after that, it's sudden death. If it's not, whoever's leading wins. So, 
I know we're going to get into the scream and yell about the Hall of Fame. My blood Let's is scream boiling. Scream and yell about this. But I will say, you know who has the best overtime I've ever heard of? College football. The XFL. Oh. <laughs> so to one, I think it's from either the 20 or the 25-yard line. No first down. And you have to score. Yeah, you start at the 20. You start within the opponent's red zone. And you have four downs to score. And you keep switching off until... And, and so in that sense, it's like college. But, you know, I think that makes it a little bit more challenging. But they're more trying to score immediately because they really just need to get the ball down the field. Yeah, see, that's the really weird part. And like you said before, you get too deep in this. That's the really weird part about it is every other overtime is just like, oh, we'll just, like, give it to you in scoring position. Like, you could try to return a kickoff, and if you get tackled at the six, it's like, hey, sorry. <laughs> You get the ball to six. You've got 94 yards to go score. Have fun. <laughs> Good luck. All right. Anyway. Yeah. So, we have big news. More football. Um, from Monday. We now have. Uh, James Harden is still the most selfish basketball player in the NBA. Well, that's not really news. It's been. It's been. I think that's been the case since about 2016. Oh, right. Right. Okay. I know I said last time. Right before we get to baseball. This is the last thing before we get All to right. baseball. I promise. Right. Because we are about promise. stats. Um, I'm going to break it. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I don't know how, I don't think, I think they played last night, but he had, he was averaging 52.2 points per game over the last five games. Yep. He had 263 points unassisted, all of them unassisted. So how was that? Here's, and here's I, my stat I'm going to share with you on that too, is uh Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his career had 57 or no, he had zero 57-point games. Over the last five games, James Harden has had three. <laughs> or 57-plus, excuse I, me. I, I, I don't know how to uh, process that. Yeah. Like, uh, what I'm trying to say is that Kareem uh, Abdul-Jabbar is over it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're trying to say here. But Oh, but yeah. So, I... There, there's just that. I don't even know how to like process the fact that that keeps happening. But all right, I'm about to explode. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta get into this. All right, so. All oh, right, now we can get in. That was close. I about knocked the mic off. The... All right, the baseball, the the baseball Hall, Hall of Fame. Fame. Had introduced the twenty nine the class of twenty nineteen. Now, the veterans committee had already introduced two players, who were, in my opinion, very no undes- names. Oh. Undes- they, they, no, they were good players, at their time, but uh, they're undeserving, uh, and I will say that. And let, but first of all, I'm going to say this: the let the record show. <laughs> let the record show that the veterans committee needs to stop. Voting on players. Here are the last four players that they have voted into the Hall of Fame. Harold Baines, Lee Smith, Jack Morris, uh, Alan Trammell. And I'll get to those stats in a second why they shouldn't be in. But They let Bud Seeley in, too. Yeah, that's, that's, another, that's another story. That's another a rant for another day. Um, 
that could fill about. We don't have three hours on our show today, but I could get into that. Bud Seeley being in the Hall of Fame. But so, 2019 class. Lee Smith and Harold Baines, who were, in my opinion, just undeserving, uh, made it into the Hall of Fame off the Veterans Committee. The Baseball Writers Association of America voted on four new players. Uh, Mariana Rivera, uh, impressively, the first player to get 100% of the ballots. I don't want to be here to debate, take away from that, say someone else deserved it before him. Someone else deserved it before him. I mean, you, maybe, but... Maybe a, maybe a guy Rivera, that got in last year. Well, in terms of a full career... No, two years ago. In terms of a full career, Mariano Rivera is the go. greatest closer in baseball history. Oh, yeah. I hate to say it because I hate the Yankees. And I, I don't... Okay, I don't hate the Yankees, but I just grew up hating those... Hating the Yankees. I, I grew up hating those teams... Um, with Jeter, because like every kid was a Yankees fan growing up, and so you hated all those players. But Mariano Rivera. So in terms of peaks of closers' careers, because a, usually a closers' career will only span about a few seasons. Mariano Rivera had his quote unquote peak last for twenty years. Yeah. Usually closers, um, they blow their arm out after a while, um, or they get figured out. Mariano Rivera was able you to figure th- me out. He he was able to throw smart, and he's able to throw hard yep. for twenty straight seasons. I don't think another closer will ever do that, um, for a long, long time. Well, the like thing I is, said, is, because the stress that a lot of those pitches that they put on their arms, it's just too much. The only there's been a few players that could be career closers, um, but Mariano Rivera threw in my opinion, way harder than any of those guys did. Raleigh Fingers is one of the greatest closers of all time, but he was he was a finesse pitcher. He was a ground ball pitcher. Trevor Hoffman um, was a ground ball pitcher as well, but an amazing closer. Mm-hmm. But closers are usually guys that are going to strike out the side or walk one or two guys uh, al- along the way. And Mariano Rivera – was one of those guys. But he also had – I mean, he had – not to say he was like the typical closer with all the uh, walks per uh, nine innings because he had very good control as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and here's the thing too, and I think the um, – because when you hear the word closer these days, you think of guys like Araldus Chapman. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's good because – Which isn't me, a bad thing. Because he's to me is – that's who I think of. And, him, and Kenley, me too. Him like, and Kenley Jansen, Carter Capps. So you're thinking of guys that are going out there and smoking 100 miles an hour past you for an inning. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But Mariano was like R- – Rivera was not going out there and throwing 100 miles an hour. He was throwing a cutter. He was throwing fastballs. He threw hard. He threw he a threw hard, hard fastball, but he wasn't – it wasn't like, oh, he's going to throw 106. It's yeah, like oh, where, he's gonna, yeah, he's going to shatter the you record. You really had like, to think but when you would face off against him. Yeah. And, you know, there are some other guys that will put up, you know, strikeout per nine inning numbers of 12 to 14. A couple have done like 16, 17. Rivera was not as, you know, you know, flaming hot as those guys. Yeah. He wasn't as much of a flamethrower. But, he's, like I said, he threw for a how he pitched for over an 18, 19-year career. He threw pretty hard. I mean, it's how he saved his arm, basically. Mm-hmm. He he found ways to 
I mean, he found <laughs> he found ways to be a closer without having to throw 100 miles an hour. Like, <laughs> that's – I don't think most guys could do that these days. No, there's no, there's no – I mean, guys that are – Too big of there's a lot of There's a lot of starting pitchers that throw – because this is the era of the strikeout, so a lot of starters yeah. are going to throw really hard. But honestly, I think it's getting to a point where a lot of – a good amount of starters are only going to have those – three, four-year peaks like closers do. Um, and the reason I say that is kind of the guys who really foreshadowed today's era of the strikeout were Kerry Wood and Matt Clement. Uh, no, not Matt Clement, Mark Pryor, uh, early Cubs, you know, strikeout guys. And uh, after a while, their their arms just went out uh, pretty quickly. And there's going to be more and more instances like that going forward and now a few guys will will be able to endure you know mm-hmm. being flamethrowers uh nolan ryan whose arm didn't get blown out until his uh 27th season <laughs> 27th and final season yeah um after being the really the original um big time strikeout yeah king the first uh, guy to put 10 plus uh, strikeouts per nine innings. You might know this off the top of your head. It might also just be like an assumed answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Has a closer ever won the Cy Young Award? Yes. Um, in fact, closers won the MVP, I think. Okay. Uh, Raleigh Fingers in 1982. I'm going to double check that, though, in a second, because Raleigh Fingers is really considered the first true closer. Um, Hoy Wilhelm, who was a knuckleball pitcher for about – a million years he was up there too yep so in 1981 it was actually um raleigh fingers uh won the cy young and the mvp uh with an era of 1.04 and a whip of 0.87 which is very it's very good and he led the league with only 28 saves but it was still a lead leading at the mm-hmm. time uh and i know eric gagne had an unbelievable year in 2003, which he also won Cy Young Award. Those are the two I can think of. Um, I just asked because this was what yours is 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, Rivera finished second behind Bartolo Colon <laughs> for the Cy Young. And I would say that Rivera deserved it more than Colon. I've looked at the numbers Colon had for uh, 2005, and I think those I. I think those numbers there were. He had a lot of wins, and exactly people exactly. care about that. And for some that's reason. not a thing anymore. Yeah. So, but yeah. You know, I was thinking kind of this. This is a little random, but I was just thinking of like, you know, how so many guys, like ten percent of the guys who sign a minor league contract, ever even make it to the major leagues. Yeah. How many of those guys were pitchers way back in the day? And they never really got called up because they didn't get like something like they didn't get enough win or wins. They lost too many games. Like they pitched fine, they just their defense couldn't support them, and that killed their own career. Yeah, or like everything's good about, about it, that. but they have like high ERAs because they have no defense. Like there's there, I'm sure there are plenty of guys out there that had really high on base percentages that could draw walks, but they didn't get enough home runs or something. Or you know, enough or extra base hits. Now a stat that's considered irrelevant. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 those are things I think about. Well, good. Keep thinking right. about them. Um, anyway. My so boy got in, though. Roy Halliday got Doc in. Doc Holliday, yeah. Um, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised he made it on the first ballot. 
I was a little bit, but also but I think. But at the same time, uh, he does deserve at some is, point to. He does at some point deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Was my thought. Well, him passing away was also so like. It wasn't like super recent, but it was still. I feel like fresh in the mind that people were like, oh, like. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It Remember was, uh, Roy Holiday? Happened, happened a little over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I'm glad he got in. I remember that that whole thing. What irritated me so much was I remember hearing reports immediately after. I think someone was like, "Oh yeah, well, like, cause he died in a plane crash." Yeah. And people were like, "Oh, well, they found like they they believe that there was alcohol in his system." Like, oh, like that's gonna oh if he didn't have that alcohol in his system, like he would survive a plane crash. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's like that was well, that was one of the most upset I've been. I've been upset at baseball a lot, but that was well. They that was. Ridiculous. I feel like they've done that a lot. Re- like we don't need to get political or anything yeah. with this, but I feel like they've done that a lot recently. When when Jose um, Fernandez passed, yeah, away. especially they found, when, they found like a little, like a, just a sliver of cocaine in his system, but it was there. And they're like, like, oh, well, oh like that's going to take away. They're probably doing hardcore drugs, and that's why they crashed their their boat. I'm like, um, yeah, but does a 25 year old baseball phenomenon who's also a great kid deserve death because he did a little bit of cocaine? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Because if that was the case, I think no every one, baseball base, player in the 80s would have died. Like Lonnie Smith, the Cardinals wouldn't have had a baseball team. <laughs> oh no, no, but there would have been a. Uh, the 1982 World Series, the Milwaukee Brewers are playing nobody. The right. St. Louis Cardinals no longer exist. <laughs> like it, that, that was disturbing. But Roy Halladay was a great guy, yep. a great player. And that's part of it. As much as people are arguing, like now people are saying that they're going to argue that Bobby Abreu should belong, on the, uh, belong in the Hall of Fame next year. And Is I know you're a Phillies fan. Yes. And I know that you're a Phillies fan. You might be like, oh, yeah, yeah. But like, and he does have a really high career on base percentage. Bobby Abreu doesn't really do it for me. But the thing is, <laughs> yeah, part of it is their impact on baseball. Yeah. Both as a half of it's the stats, you know, the, with the OPS um, and the on-base percentage and all that other fun stuff that we like to talk about and say is relevant or irrelevant. But the other half of it to me is the impact they've made on the game of baseball and who they were as a character and an ambassador for the sport of baseball. And Roy Halladay exemplified example two, along with being an outstanding player uh, in his day. So congratulations uh, to the Halladay family um, on Roy's and old Doc Halladay's induction. Um, for me, the feel-good story, along that was good. But to me, my true feel-good story for myself was on his last chance uh, Edgar Martinez yeah. making the uh, Hall of Fame. This should have happened uh, first, second ballot. Yeah. His, let's go through his stats here. So Edgar Martinez, um, Remember in terms we, of pure it, hitting. And uh, funny enough, we talked about this last week because um, uh, the Tacoma Times, I think it was, or Tacoma Tribune was saying that anyone that's gotten like 70 the year before has gotten in the next year, and mm-hmm. he got like 70.8 or 70.4 last mm-hmm. year. So 15 more percent, he rose. So over his career um, of 18 years, dur- through his 162-game average season, uh, Edgar Martinez on average bats 312, has an on-base percentage of 418, a slugging percentage of 515, and an OPS of 933. If you want to get into the other fun stats, um, he gets 24 home runs, 99 RBI season. 
What's notable to me, though, is I've heard, first of all, the iconic uh, 1995 American League Division Series where Ken Griffey Jr. beat the throw at the plate. Uh-huh. They, uh, the Seattle wouldn't have even made the playoffs that year um, if it wasn't for Edgar Martinez um, and his fantastic season that he had, um, in which he should have won MVP. He batted three fifty six. Had an on-base percentage of 480, um, a slugging percentage of 628, and so adding up to an OPS of 1.107, which uh, was one of the tops uh, in the league. And that we wouldn't have had that without Edgar Martinez. Mm-hmm. He hit. A guy said that he would hit like a golfer too. When he would do batting practice, you know, it's usually just like, all right, let's get the swing down. Let's get our cut down. Um, let's try to hit it into the gap. Let's try to hit, yeah. hit it to left and right. He would do that, but he would try to, you know, he'd do a ground ball to each field. He would do the mini game from MVP Baseball 05 <laughs> for his batting practice. He would he would be like, I'm going to hit it here. As a, um, it's going to be ground ball, and he'd do it. He would hook him like, you know like you would with golf and stuff like that. Yeah. And he just, the control that he had over his bat, um, was about, you can argue that he was the best hitter of the nineties. Cause I mean, Tony Gwynn had the average uh, bonds and Sosa and McGuire had the power. Um, but Martinez had, you know, unbelievable contact along with, but when he had to, he didn't try to hit for power, but when he needed to, he would as exemplified by 309, career home runs like i said he should have been in way 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 ahead of time but people are just have a problem with the designated hitter being voted in for some reason um but here's what i'm like the comparison harold baines yep is also it was a designated hitter over his career people had no problem voting him in so i told you 312 batting average 418 on base percentage um ops of 933 harold baines is 289 with a 356 on base percentage and an 820 OPS. Yet he gets voted in on the Veterans Committee. I don't get it. Yeah, I think you, you had mentioned and this. Veterans are more of the baseball traditionalists anyway. Well, yeah. I honestly, I think you would probably agree with this. Let's. I think they need to basically scrap the veterans' votes. But the the tough part is, is those are guys that are going to get they can't be on the ballot, but for some reason they should have been on there. Like there's some guys that missed the ballot. You could say the veterans committee down the road would say Larry Walker needs to be in. But, um, the, the thing is, is like going, going through this, there's no real set number of how many people get in the hall of fame. And I, I don't think there should be, because obviously you have to vote on it every year, but there has to be some kind of consensus each year that like, Hey, we agree that these four people should be in. It shouldn't be like, oh well. You, like, there, like, other, like I think this. what you're saying is there needs to be an open discussion. Yeah, it does. It that's more so what it is. I feel like it's just so. Well, I value OPS, so that's what I'm going to look for. Well, I value wins in a pitcher. If you're stupid, uh, yeah. If you're the whoever <laughs> voted in Jack Morris, <laughs> but I'll find you. 
<laughs> All right, maybe not that, but well, the veterans it. committee, it's probably pretty easy to find them. I think I think um, later in this episode, if we still have energy left, I'll get into Jack Morris's career statistics, and then we can start throwing chairs. But and I, that will end our episode. I guess my point is is that you you get a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., who I thought un, undoubtedly was going to be a unanimous pick for the Hall of Fame. That here's the here's what keeps him from being unanimous is so many people three people are stupid that's no it's not it's i mean somewhat (laughs) but the real thing is you have um one person that deserves to get in unanimous doesn't get in unanimous um and so not that it really makes it and so from from that point on it's like the, a lot of baseball writers who are very petty will say, if Tom Seaver or uh, another example, uh, Cal Ripken, ninety-eight point five, didn't if they didn't get in un- unanimously, then and they were better players than Ken Griffey Jr. And so I'm going to keep that vote away from Ken Griffey Jr. Like how did Nolan Ryan not get a unanimous like ninety-eight point eight? He got ninety eight. Um, the big one to me was uh, George Brett ninety eight point. No, I'm looking for. No, I'm just saying. I'm just like going through. Oh. Tom Seaver was ninety eight. I'm looking 8. for Greg Maddox. Uh, what year? Greg would Maddox that have been? was. Oh, Greg Maddox was ninety seven point two, and that was in twenty fourteen. I think what happened in that one was everybody voted for him except one guy who refused to vote for anybody that played in the steroid era because he couldn't trust it. And so his only vote went to Jack Morris, who has a career whip of like 1.35. Jeez. And so. Hank yeah. Hank Aaron was 97.8. stupid sport. I love it more than anything, but it's such a stupid sport sometimes. Hank Aaron, 97.8. Um there was another one that I saw. Willie Mays was ninety four point seven. Yeah, like Willie. That's another. Like, how does Willie Mays not get six percent of people? Are like, I don't know, man. Because here's my. He, he played in the wrong era. I don't know. Here's what I was gonna say was, so someone made a joke about with the steroids thing, like Barry Bonds, and we'll get into Barry Bonds in a bit. Yeah, we need the last like twenty minutes for that. So. Yeah. So Barry Bonds, uh, it's like, oh, here's what we should do. We should have. If any player did steroids, we need to split their career wins above replacement in half. Oh, wait. Barry Bonds still has a higher war than, like, Jeff Bagwell and uh, Todd Helton. And, and like, almost every all other. In all these huge <laughs> names. And so I'm like, oh, well, what's his career? Like, I'm going to check the uh, San Francisco Giants franchise page and see how much he's leading the Isn't franchise in war. like over 100? It's, it's high, but it's not the highest in Giants history. Really? Willie Mays has a higher career wins above replacement than Barry Bonds, who had the greatest four-year stretch of any athlete in the four major sports. I will stick by that. <laughs> I'm sticking by that opinion. Um, I'm sorry, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Babe Ruth, maybe. We'll think about it. But um, if, hey, if, if you can, if the Miami if you Heat would have won all four of those NBA ma- championships. If you get more career wins above replacement – than a guy who, you know, we'll get into his stats 
in a while. But who had a million moonshots? Who had a million moonshots? Was on base ninety four percent of his games from two thousand one to two thousand four. If you have more career wins above replacement than that, you deserve to get like one hundred five percent of the vote. Yeah. Um, I am sweating. Uh, and your boy in nineteen eighty three got in on ninety two percent. Uh, who is it? A man that plays third base. Oh, <laughs> that that guy, Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson. Yep. Bless that man. Fun so. fact: uh, Earl Weaver once said, "I dropped a. We had a team dinner. They were having a team dinner, and uh, Earl Weaver dropped his uh, paper plate, and so Brooks Robinson scooped it up on one bounce and threw him out at first. <laughs> <laughs> he scooped up the plate and just whoosh, right across. Um." Just a couple other numbers of guys that you would have thought would have been close to unanimous. Tony Gwynn, 97.6. I could see why. Are didn't, not, hit a, didn't hit enough home runs. Uh, Ricky Henderson, 94.8. How does how does he not? Oh, because he's crazy is part of it probably. But Greg Maddox, 97.2. Uh, Randy Johnson, 97.3. And then uh, what was the most recent one? Yeah, Chipper, like, Chipper Jones was 97.2. And Chipper I Jones was questionable to uh, – I wouldn't say questionable to get in, but wasn't he a first ballot guy? He, no, I would put him first ballot, but – Frank Thomas, who was one of the best hitters in the 90s, yeah. had, I think, I could argue that he had the best season of the 90s. Um, he would have had the best season of the 90s in 94 uh-huh. if it wasn't for the strike. And um, he only got 83% of the vote. Yet, uh, Chipper Jones, who was, you know, in my opinion, a first ballot, even though he was eh, defensively. Yeah. I, I feel like people, 97 for me is a little too high. I was going to say, I feel like people were a little bit like on edge isn't the right word, but looked at like, really? Like Chipper Jones is going to get in? Like first ballot Chipper Jones is going to get in? But you're right. That 97 is kind of what makes it like really like, really? But yeah. Um, so Tim Raines at 86%. I like Tim Raines. Uh, Tim Raines is a friend of mine. But, um, a little too high. Pudge. But here's where my gears really grind. Is it Barry Bonds? Is Mike Mussina being a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yeah, I was I, – I didn't know – I didn't want to I didn't wouldn't, wouldn't, say I was questioning it because I, I didn't want to sound dumb. I wouldn't even vote him in the Hall of Fame, honestly. See, I was leaning that way too. I was like, what did he really do that stands out? Um, he played for the Yankees. Yep. Um. <laughs> He played okay. He played on some good Orioles teams uh, in the '90s um, when the Orioles had a good rivalry with the uh, with the Yankees. Um, oh, but he had 270 wins. Like, uh, well, that's part of it. It's he had you know a 19 and nine season. Um, his career ERA is 3.68. Yep. I'll give him credit. Um, his, his fielding independent uh, ERA is lower. Um. And his career whip is around 1.19, which that's, is good. That's pretty. It's good, but. It's not. It's better than average, but it's pretty. But for Hall of Fame, yeah. it's it's fringe. That's a fringe yeah. number for the Hall yeah. of Fame guy. Um, and strikeouts, you know, I know some people aren't strikeout hitters, but in the 90s, um, as kind of a bit of, 
trying to come off as a power guy and getting 7.1 strikeouts per nine innings is is not pathetic. Uh. I mean, he did. There are a lot of people saying he did field his position quite well, but uh, he was just. He had a war he, of 83. Yeah, let's let's look at the 19. Let's see. Uh, oh, was this what dwarf? year did Baltimore 97 Baltimore Orioles finished 98 64? Great team. Oh, Mike Mussina was the leader in war, so he did lead some good teams. Um, so maybe I am wrong, but in the he, should, he shouldn't have been first ballot, is what I'm trying to say. No, I agree. In the postseason, uh, his strikeouts per nine was 9.3, and that was over 16. And that's series. that was the argument some people were giving was his postseason numbers were really good. But he never won a World Series, though. And he played on some really good teams. He played on a 98-win Orioles team. He played on the Yankees from 01 to 08. So, why couldn't he win a World Series? Yeah. That's my... That's my Florida Marlins were really good in 2003. <laughs> you you would know that. Yeah. Hey, who'd they beat? Uh, the in, San Francisco Giants. <laughs> Uh, in the NLDS, uh, who had 100 <laughs> wins that year. Oh, yeah. And Barry Bonds. Yeah. Yeah, and Barry Bonds. Cubs. Uh, I wish uh, Barry Bonds was in more World Series. I think that would have been great. He I wish he would have like, won some he World like, Series. He hit, like, in 2002, he hit, like, five home runs in that World Series. And, yeah, speaking of Barry Bonds, let's talk about all the great things he did and how he's still not in the Hall of Fame. Yep, we've got, got anything, six, Colton? We've got 16. I was just going to read some of the things that I sent you yeah. on Twitter because mm-hmm. they were classic. Yeah, but, go ahead. Um, so a couple of accounts that I was looking at. One of them is Reese Hoskins, so yeah. Philly's connection there. But uh, a couple of Barry Bonds stats. And then there was a joke that went with this one too. I don't remember who put it. But uh, my favorite Barry Bonds stat is still that he's the only member of the 400 homer, 400 steel club and the only member of the 500 homer and 500 steel club. And they were saying, like, I want all the players, like, from the steroid era to hang out. And if it gets too loud, he goes into the 400-400 club. And then if it's still too loud, he then opens another door and then puts himself in the 500-500 club because he's the only one that's going to be there. Um, well, that was what um, Cespedes Family Barbecue at Cespedes yeah. BBQ. Did they tweet that one, too? Um, they tweeted that out. But Rice Hoskins, yeah, Reese Hoskins. This one, this is what he tweeted: yeah. is the if you went, if you had a season where you played all 162 games, and in every one of those games you went two for five, and had a single every day, you would have a batting average of 400, 162 home runs, 810 total bases, 324 hits, and a lower OPS than Barry Bonds in 2004. <laughs> Hitt- hitting a hitting a homer oh and a single gosh. every day, a home run and a single every single day for also. I'm not going to read through all this one, but I I loved whoever uh, uh, whoever went and converted all this. It may be easier than I think, but they went on Baseball Reference. Barry Bonds' career, if he played in 2000 Coors Field his entire career, mm-hmm. he would have had that up. 989 home runs. <laughs> Let's see, so it's 989 home runs. His um, biggest story, season would have been 93 in 2001. So here's my a little bit of my gripe with this thing, though, is that it also increases his stolen bases at the same rate, um, which yeah. is questionable. Actually, though, They didn't go up that much higher, Actually, though. no, because if he had played with the Rockies his entire year, I know for a fact that his manager 
for a while would have been Don Baylor, who was very aggressive on the base paths in terms of stolen bases. And so maybe it actually would have increased quite a bit um, in which he would have had a season in 1990 of 69 steals. Um, he would have had, yeah, he would have averaged over his career 53 home runs a game, 36 stolen bases a game. He would have averaged over his career three, uh, 351 batting average. Over his career, he would have been on base more than half of the time. He goes up to the plate. Statistically, he's going to get on base for 20 years. What was his career batting at? 298. Okay. Um, he did not make it. Uh, he's not a member of the 3000 Hit Club, which I find interesting. Um, That's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, because he's a member of the almost 3000 Walks Club. Oh, I know. Um, twenty career, two thousand five hundred fifty-eight. Once here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna look up the. Uh, also, you say he's not a member of the three thousand hit club, but you take a few of those walks away, and he is. He's two thousand nine hundred thirty-five. So I'm gonna look at the find the all-time leaders, uh, in. OPS in a season. Um, it could take a little bit. Also, someone was like, "Well, my favorite stat is that." His hat went from a 7 to a 14. Which actually is true. I don't know if it's a 14. So, here's a list. I don't of, care if he took steroids. Here's my thing. is Here's a list of... Yeah, this is the We've point that, that um, Skip Bayless made. How many guys in th- oh, between 2001, tweet. Yeah. 2001 to 2004 knowing, uh, knew that Barry Bonds had taken steroids? Because it was kind of like people had kind of figured out at that point, but it was just like whatever. Because a lot of those substances that are banned today were not banned back then. Right. So anyways, they knew that he had taken substances, still voted for him uh, for the MVP, yet now they refuse to vote for him because of the stigma against him. Yeah, from yeah 2000 uh, – no, sorry, 2001-2004, won the MVP, was an all-star, and was a silver slugger all four years. And the year before that, in 2000, he finished second in the MVP, was an all-star, and a silver slugger. So – uh, Anyways, I'm going to... Well, no, hold on, ahead. last thing, really yeah. quick. I, I already said a couple of these, but Barry Bonds, and you did too, uh, only member of the 500-500, only member of the 400-400, reached base in 94% of his games from 2001 to 2004, had more intentional walks from 2001 to 2004, 284, than Ooh. the entire Phillies organization did, 237. Oh, well, that's that too. So... Going back to, I'm just saying. Yeah, going back to if Barry Bonds had played Coors at Field. Coors Field every game. So I'm gonna put it this way. So from 19. All right, wait, wait, hold on here. Uh, I feel like they should adjust up. that a little differently so, because. So his op- We're gonna take. You only play half your Here's a list home. of players that have had an on base plus slugging. Um, above 1.218 in one season. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Fox, Mark McGuire in his 70 home run season, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Rogers Hornsby, Ted Williams, and of course Barry Bonds. If Barry Bonds had played at uh, Coors Field his entire career, that would have been his career OPS, 1.218. <laughs> Which is what Jimmy Fox, which is what Jimmy Fox, the arguably the greatest slugger of the '30s, did in his best season. 
And he still that, finished with a 1.05. Something that like, Sammy Sosa, Larry Walker, uh, Hank Aaron, Todd Helton. Um, Manny McGuire Ramirez. was on that list, right? Yeah, McGuire was on this list. But all these other greats never did once in a season. Wow. Here's my wow. thing. I, I don't know how he – no, I know exactly how he didn't get to 3,000 hits. Because he, he got walked he, all the he time. He stood at the, up at the plate and they're like, yeah, never mind. Yeah, and then, the, and then uh, I don't know, let's say Mike Redman would be uh, looking in. It's like, I don't know if I want to pitch this. And up 0-2. All right, I'm just going to go then, ahead and walk then, him. And then Jason Marquis. Or, uh, I'm just naming off you know, pitchers that have no <laughs> no business who, being on the mound. Who has him. the most hits? Is it still Pete Rose? Time? Yeah, Pete Rose. And okay. It's going to be probably – Probably going to be Pete Rose until someone plays a, you know, until someone bets on baseball. So someone until someone hits, or consistently for a thirty-plus season career. <laughs> so, oh wow, yeah, okay. So here's here's and no the, one, and also no one's going to really ever approach the plate the same way Pete Rose did. Here's there's the thing. no pure contact spray Man. hitters anymore. Yeah, or not a lot of them. So four thousand two hundred fifty-six hits for Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. He has a. Th- Thousand, so he has a a little over a thousand more hits, but he also has a thousand less walks. What's his career and this over, is the guy. What's his, what's his career on base? His career oh, on base is uh, three seventy five. His career OPS is seven eighty four. Yeah. But like, the dude I like just. That. I don't like that at all. He also only had what one hundred and sixty career home runs. And yeah, I mean, the dude could just hit. I mean, that's good for him, but he's no Barry Bonds. <laughs> so, uh, if play. if if teams would have been forced to pitch to Barry Bonds, like nor like normally, you couldn't intentionally walk him. He would have easily finished with over three thousand hits, easily. Oh yeah, because he's only sixty five short. I mean, juice up one more time and come back for a season. I mean. Yeah, and he played. People do it all the time. And he played um, in one of the, as a left, maybe the worst stadium a left-handed batter mm. could play in, too. Giants Stadium? Uh, yeah, Giant, where the Giants play, yeah. Um, well, at least during his four-year, ridiculous four-year run, he played um, in what was then known as Pac Bell Park, now known as uh, AT&T Stadium. And that's probably the worst one of the worst park, I think the worst park at that time for left-handed batter, and he just he's like, yeah, well, put it right in the water each time. Career intentional walks, six hundred and eighty-eight. He played at the uh, Emerald Bowl, the the Fight hung- Hunger Bowl Stadium. That's where he played. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'm gonna list off some other guys that are in the Hall of Fame, and I'm a that... questionable about it. Uh, yeah. So Jack Morris, who I've been as my guinea pig this whole time of guys, and it's like. How did they make be it there? Up? Shouldn't be here, brother. So, Jack Morris's best whip in one season was 1.15. Mm-hmm. His career whip was 1.3, about exactly. Um, but he did have two seasons of three seasons of 20 wins. Um, and if we want to look at ERA, his highest ERA in a season or lowest ERA in a season was. 3.05. Um, his career ERA is 3.9. Jeez. 
and the 305 is a bit of an outlier too. So, <laughs> so uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like, and, well, you know Ron. Ron and I have talked oh, about yeah, this, absolutely. and I've talked to you about this. Absolutely. Hall of Fames are really weird, whether it's rock and roll, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, basketball, whatever. It's so it's so subjective to a point. I mean, it's obviously objective. Like if if someone's like a really good player like around the fans and like the fans love him, but he finishes with an OPS of 200 and like only plays three seasons, like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter how well-liked he was, not making the Hall of Fame. However... I'm talking about my guy Larry Boa with that 200 <laughs> OPS. <laughs> Look, I'm not naming names, but... Right. Um, but... Like, again, like with the Barry Bonds thing, if if you took his name away, the problem is is people know that Larry, Larry Bonds, Larry Walker, uh, Barry Bonds has 762 home oh, runs. But not if Larry Walker. If I you have to talk about his stats and how good he is. If you take away, and I think this is how, like, Heisman voting should be. I think this is how MVP voting should be. Take the names away, strip them away, and it's just the numbers. If the numbers fit your criteria of what should be in the Hall of Fame. That's how it, uh, but also, you need to make sh- – I think that's the first step. And then you figure out who you voted for. And yeah. you need to add some name or take away one name because, like I said, well, it yeah. is partly about the character and their impact on No, the no, I agree. So basically what you would do is you'd take the numbers and then you'd pick a larger number, like the majority – you know, say you have to get 60% to move into like seeing who they were, right? So then maybe you have a list of eight or ten that, you know, that way you don't have, like, this guy that's going to get zero percent, so he's on the ballot for no reason. Like, not for no reason, but he's never going to get in. So you might, or, you know, even if it's narrowing it down to, like, six guys, it's like you got to take two of these out based on who they are. But if that means you're down to Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, then three guys that might be able to get in, do you, are you looking at the steroids then? I don't know. But when you look at this whole like list of 20 guys, and you're like, well, he had a pretty good career. He's not going to make it in the Hall of Fame, but he didn't take steroids. Mm-hmm. It's like you could say that about a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that aren't going to make it in the Hall of Fame and didn't take steroids either. There's a good reason why they're not going to get into the Hall of Fame. They weren't good. Maybe they should have taken steroids. So, Larry Walker. Which doesn't make you a better baseball player, but Larry, whatever. Larry Walker and... 197 1997 he had a batting average of 366 49 home runs 720 op or uh, slugging percentage on base percentage of 452 for an mm-hmm. ops of 1.172 in an mvp that year also had 33 stolen bases not bad and that was his only season in his career, where he played more than 150 games. Uh, in ni- 1999, he only played 120 games, but he had a batting average of 379, on base percentage of 458, slugging a 710 for an OPS of 1.168, and he still had managed to hit 37 home runs in 127 games. 
2001. We're talking only, about 1998 when he finished 17th in the MVP building. Yeah, but still had an OPS above one. <laughs> um, when he finished in 2001, when he finished 24th in the MVP voting with an OPS of 1.1 and a batting average of 350 with 38 home runs in only 140 games. Yeah. Tell me why those numbers don't deserve to be in a Hall of Fame. And if you give me – the only reason he's not – He didn't play he, a full season. Because he was injured so much and because he was he was too quiet and humble. He wasn't a, you know, an outrageous superstar. He uh, – in 2004, he played – Oh, and he also played at Coors. Like, okay, which in, is fair, but that shouldn't it, completely take away a great <laughs> career – um, just because he played at a ballpark that was easier to hit in most in, of the time. In 2004, he played 38 games and had an OPS of 1.093 and six home runs. Larry Walker, like John Boyce, the great, the creator of the show, John Boyce once said, whether once he knows w- it or not, Larry Walker, um, Larry Walker not getting in first ballot is why the Baseball Hall of Fame should just shut down. It's just that completely Basically, illegitimized. So it, it illegitimized it. It just needs to be re, uh, we need a, we restructured. Need a, we need to create our own Baseball Hall of Fame. We are, at some point this year, going to do our Chasing History uh, Hall of Fame first balloters, but we'll we'll get to that at some point. All right, Jake, 20 seconds. What do you have left? I got a shout-out to Rolly, shout-out to Mustache Man, shout-out to Shides Show, shout-out to Rolly, shout-out to Whirly. Um, pot Roast. Said, pot Roast. Um, we got a shout-out all the mommies. Keeping it high and tight. Shout out, Jeans. Let's go. All right. And always shout out to your dad, Keith. Uh, For Jake, I'm Colton. It's been Chasing History. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you very much, guys.